Support for Live in 225 is provided in part by the Grimm Family Center for Organic Production and Research at Cal Poly. For more information or to support the center, please visit organic.calpoly.edu. That's organic.calpoly.edu for the Grimm Family Center for Organic Production and Research at Cal Poly. Support for Live in 225 is provided in part by AgCom Central. Visit AgCom Central on twitch.tv forward slash AgCom Central or on our website, agcomcentral.com, where you can follow our social media. That's twitch.tv forward slash A-G-C-O-M-M central for AgCom Central. Support for Live in 225 is provided in part by the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication at Cal Poly. Visit aged.calpoly.edu to register for our programs or to show your support. That's ageed.calpoly.edu for the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication at Cal Poly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Live in 225 podcast. This is season one, episode six of our podcast. Yeah, and we are going to be talking about bugging in organic production. Um, We're here with our panelists today. We have Tegan, who is our um, production kind of like leader for this episode and is going to be sitting in on this podcast and just like sharing her her expertise on this episode. Um, Hello, good morning. Good morning. Um, We have Dr. Grishup, as always, who is um, in charge of the Grimm Family Center for Organic um, Production and Research at Cal Poly. Good morning. Nice to have you back. Always great to be here. And we have Dr. Mike, who is our um, advisor and professor for this class, who is um, the expert on all things ag comms. Good morning. Hi, good morning, everyone. Nice to be here again. Episode six, huh? Yeah, episode six. We're pushing through really good. Yeah. And our special guest today. And our special guest today on Zoom joining us is David Bright, the vice president of marketing for Grimway Farms. Um, nice, nice to have you on the on the guest panel today. Thank you so much for joining. Good morning. Uh, pleasure to be here. All yeah. Right. Um, so the importance of the episode today is to identify the practices that prevent harmful bugs that um, show up in organic products. Um, Talking about common bugs found in organic operations um, and something called beneficial bugs, which can also be referred to as natural pesticides in the ag industry. Um, So we're just gonna be discussing all all bugs all the time and it's gonna be a great episode. So let's just kick it off with- um, Can I start today? Yeah, yeah, you can start. Yeah, I I just want to say last quarter, uh, this is good context for David as well. Last quarter we did, uh, Matt, you know, invested in the class and we did some really, really good work on understanding the difference between beneficial bugs and harmful bugs and sort of like the concept of the SEAL Team 6 of bugs. And I found that to be so intriguing. And we had the students do some TikToks and stuff. Um, And what, what came out of that is that, you know, the students recognized that the consumers are so fickle sometimes when they see like a small bug on their food they get so intense about it sometimes now i'm not saying that you know if you find a bug in like your soup at a restaurant like that's different or if you find a, a salad and sorry a bug in your salad at a restaurant i think that's something different than you bought a fresh produce it's considered organic it's probably straight from the field there are probably going to be some some remnants of bugs on that well, isn't that like fair matt 
Yeah, I'd say that that's really fair. And, you know, especially as we move towards organic production practices, um, you know, we rely on different practices to grow our produce. And so as um, our host was um, alluding to, so we do use some some natural pesticides in organic production. So those would be, you know, things that are, are typically living organisms. So things that, you know, sort of like cultured bacteria that attack certain bugs. There's some plant extracts and things like that that we'll use to, to keep, you know, pest insects out of our produce. But really, um, the sort of go-to pest management for certified organic production is, is typically biological control, which involves, you know, trying to maintain as part of your, uh, your organic production system a vibrant community of predator and parasite insects that attack the insects that we don't want to find on our produce and that, you know, cause farmers a lot of problems in terms of maintaining quality and yield. But of course, the trade-off is, you know, you're, you're upregulating these insects in the system and they're going to get through, you know, uh, some of them are going to get through the, the very fastidious washing and cleaning processes that our modern produce, you know, goes through. And um, so this is, you know, I, David, I think, can probably speak towards the consumer side of this and, and the problems that, that producers like Grimway face in terms of trying to do the right thing, using biological control, using very light pest, you know, pest management practices that avoid using the pesticides that produce, that consumers don't want on their organic produce. Um, but the trade-off is, is that, yeah, sometimes these, these things get through. So maybe, David, you can, you can comment on that on the, the marketing side. I mean, what's your experience in terms of uh, buyers and consumers and, and bugs and yeah and bugs yeah it, it is a very difficult balance and you know what i have found and i am a marketer and an analyst i'm certainly not a farmer and i will be straight out and just tell you that um, i have a very cursory knowledge of farming and the strategy and tactics that are employed to keep insects and pests out of the field the, the key strategy is to stay on top of what's going on in the field, uh, identify things very early on, because if it gets to be too big of an infestation, there really are not effective tools to go out there once the bugs have uh, really taken hold within a particular field. I mean, at that point, it's so sad because we'll have really beautiful looking produce out there, but we just can't harvest it because it's infested with aphids or other types of insects. And there really is not an effective means of getting it out there. So it's a matter of our people being out in the fields, being very proactive, taking a look at what's out there and figuring out early on what may be coming and uh, what we can do to prevent uh, infestation of insects in the, in the field. On the consumer side, and it was very interesting back in November, um, the uh, woman that we have that runs our consumer center and that takes all the calls. And I have appreciated her my entire time here and I've always appreciated the people that run the consumer center. It's a very difficult job. It takes a very special type of person. Unfortunately, she had to go on a leave. So it was kind of up to me to start taking the calls, responding to consumers and a very eye-opening experience as to what consumers actually expect and the type of things they don't like and really what their expectations are for fresh produce in general. So I feel the questions on organic produce, on conventionally grown uh, carrots that we grow, that we uh, sell. And there really is an expectation of perfection out there and that everything really needs to be perfect. And 
consumers get upset when something isn't quite right. So our job in the, in the consumer center is to listen to what their concerns are, explain to them what may have happened, and make sure that they're taken care of and they feel like uh, they're made whole for an experience that wasn't exactly what they were looking for. And insects are quite often part of this where an insect is found in a particular uh, product and this may be in a whole product, it could be in a product in a bag as well. And, you know, I mean, it's difficult sometimes for the consumers to understand that this is not made in a factory. It's actually made outdoors, it's made outdoors in the sun. And it's, uh, you know, sometimes an insect will get in and they don't like it. But, you know, I think after giving them an explanation, I think they have a better understanding of what the process is like and what it takes back. That's great. Yeah, because it's it's been so interesting um, for me talking with growers and pest control advisors and marketers in the organic industry and, and you know, what an issue some of this is. And there's such a paradox, right? Because when we do, I mean, you brought it up, I think, really well. When we move towards organic production practices, you know, the goal is to minimize the types of interventions that we commonly use in conventional practices, which, I mean, basically... A use of a lot of pesticides and there are powerful tools out there for conventional growers that can you know respond to problems as they grow so in an organic system it really is how do we maintain balance and how do we stay you know one step ahead of where we think things are going so we can you know, maintain profitability and quality and you know in a good product but the weird paradox and all of that that strikes me is as you move towards more of a you know ecologically biologically based um, <laughs> system, you're you're going to have more critters in it, right? I mean, because you, you said it perfectly. You, you're not producing these vegetables in a factory. They're being produced outdoors, and there's all kinds of stuff outdoors. And when we're trying to manage aphids and caterpillars and the things that typically damage our produce, we're going to see more of the, the insects that essentially keep those critters at bay. And... Um, and so I, I really view that as, as such a major educational opportunity to help consumers see the, the nuance and complexities that go into producing the produce that they enjoy. And especially with organics, it's, it's you know, from my perspective, it's like, okay, you've got the USDA certified seal on there that tells you that this grower didn't use synthetic pesticides. Um, but, you know, if you get the occasional aphid or if you get the occasional ladybird larvae or, or you know, predator insect on there, that's really a further indication that yeah they didn't they didn't use synthetic pesticides because if they did those they critters wouldn't be there exactly Period. i just wanted to um, divert this conversation you're talking about beneficial bugs and we actually have a video that some oh, of the students have um, went around campus and um, conducted. So Tegan, if you wanted to discuss about that a little bit before you play the video, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so um, the other day, Melissa and I, one of my, my group mate, we went on campus, around campus market and stuff, to uh, do man on the street interviews with students about asking them two separate questions. So we'll get into the other question later. But our first question was what, like, do they know any beneficial bugs for produce or like organic produce specifically? So we can jump right into that video real quick. And we are here at Campus Market and we're gonna ask a couple people about if they know beneficial bugs for organic produce. Do you know any good bugs for organic produce? Good bugs? 
Uh, no. No? Maybe ladybugs? Cool, that's actually one of the right answers. Okay, yeah, sweet. thank you. I do not. You don't? Okay, nope. cool. Thank you. Um, a bee? Cool, thank you. Like, beneficials? Yeah. yeah. Personalists? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, thank you. They eat two spotted spider mites. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. You just taught me something. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, not really. I'm trying to think bees would bees. be the only thing I can really think of. I do not know. Okay, cool. Thank you. Do you? I do. Uh, one of them would be like a ladybug. Oh, yeah. well, of course. Yeah. Ladybugs <laughs> have a good purpose. All right. Just um, to, you know, revisit what was said in the videos, you know, Tegan went out, asked a few people, you know, if they know anything about beneficial bugs. And surprisingly, it was really surprising to see a lot of people said ladybugs or what's the the other one that eats well, the spider mite? Well, Persimilis, yeah, which is a, a predator. It's one species of predator mite. Oh. Yeah, they use them a lot in the strawberry industry. I am surprised mm. about that, yeah. that, that we have some knowledge on campus and yeah. Tegan learned a thing or two. And yeah, yeah, I definitely, I was very shocked by her answer because I wasn't expecting a student that I walked up to to know, but. I wonder if she works at the Strawberry Center. She possibly, possibly. could. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of research with those. So I wanted to ask a little bit about ladybugs and their benefits in organic um, and in the agriculture and the agriculture yeah. industry in general, I know that they help with pest control. They eat other insects like um, asparagus beetle larvae, alfalfa weevils, and a lot of other critters like that. Yeah. So, if you want to talk about that, that would be yeah. awesome. So, you know, when we think about so, th there's different ways that insects benefit agricultural systems and organic mm -hmm. systems. And a few people brought up bees, which is really great. So, bees don't provide pest management, but if you're dealing with a, a crop that fruits and and relies on insect pollination, of course, they're vital. You need bees Definitely. To, to move pollen around so you get your nice fruit. Um, for, for organic produce, you know, when we're thinking about leafy greens and brassicas and carrots and things like that, most of those don't, we don't need pollination in the field. So our beneficial insects tend to be things that eat herbivorous insects like mm -hmm. aphids or caterpillars. And so ladybug, ladybugs or ladybird beetles really fall in that category. And the wonderful thing about um, ladybird beetles is that um, they reproduce pretty quickly, especially in warmer climates like California. So you'll get adult ladybird beetles that fly in. If they fly into a patch of organic, say, cabbage that has cabbage aphid on it, um, they're going to lay a lot of eggs, and their larvae are super voracious predators. And they, they look sort to me, they look a little bit like an alligator from a distance. Oh, I, I, I have seen those before. Yeah, so they're yeah. black with little orange dots on them. But, mm -hmm. but basically, they're, they're, you know, if you, if, listeners want to check this out you can go on youtube and you can find videos of them eating mites and aphids and even small caterpillars um, but they're you know they're sort of like a you know they're sort of like a lion or a tiger in the system right they're they're not going to just eat one thing they'll eat rabbits you know a, a large mammalian predator like a tiger or a mountain lion they'll eat you know deer they'll eat rabbits they'll eat all kinds of things it's sort of the same thing only on a very micro scale yeah so they're really great to have in systems lace wings are another great example of an important predator and so in in that case the adults don't actually feed on aphids whereas ladybird beetles are predatory both as larvae and adults um, but they're uh, they reproduce quite a bit and they also have really really just 
hungry larvae that will, will feed on, on other critters. Uh, predatory mites, as, mm -hmm. as the one um, interviewee mentioned, like persimilis, there's a whole variety of species of those and they're adapted to different climates and different types of crops. Um, but they um, largely will feed on other mites, like two-spotted spider mite that was brought up, mm -hmm. um, European red mite, there's a whole variety of mites. But they're very small, so they're even smaller than the ladybird beetle. And then we've got all kinds of other predators and systems. I mean, spiders um, provide a lot of really important predation in, in yeah. organic systems. Um, you also have things like uh, ground beetles, um, which will, will feed on um, a variety of insects. And, and the really, you know, a, a really well-functioning organic production system will typically have a whole suite of these predators. And they operate, you know, some of them feed on the soil, some of them feed on the plant, uh, some of them move in and out of the crops. Mm -hmm. um, but again, you know, getting back to that consumer issue, you know, if you're building a system that, you know, provides a really good home for these things, they're going to make their way through the supply chain. Exactly. Um, because they're, you know, they're actively foraging and, you know, hunting down and killing the aphids and mites and mm -hmm. caterpillars and variety of other pests that, you know, our growers are, are, are dealing with. And, you know, the... You know, and, and really, I, again, I just keep coming back, Brian, your, your use of, you know, it's not a factory is such a beautiful metaphor for it. And I would say that, you know, the, the conventional style of agriculture, and I, if you've listened to me talk on this podcast, you know, for me, it's never about pitting organic against conventional. We're all growing food. We're all trying to do the best we can. It's just different ways of doing it. And there are different outcomes and trade-offs associated with that. But in a conventional, you know, the typical con conventional production system in produce, the idea is, is to try to minimize all insect life across everything. And that's done with synthetic pesticides. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's how, you know, if you're going to produce a product where there's absolutely no aphids or predator insects on it at the end, that's kind of how you do that. Yeah. But the trade-off of course is you're going to use a lot of pesticides. Exactly. Um, and you were it, talking it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, you know, in medicine where, you know, you apply a lot of antiseptics to try to keep bacteria out of a surgical room or something like mm -hmm. that. When we embrace an organic uh, production system, we lose that capability. Or, I mean, it's it's not so much that we lose it, it's just counter to the whole concept and process of the way the system works. It's really more about embracing that complexity and the fact that, okay, we're trying to grow this crop. There are things, other things that want to eat this crop. So we want to make sure that there are even, you know, more other things that like to eat the things that are going to eat our crop. Exactly. You were yeah. talking about um, synthetic pesticides, which are um, used in conventional agricultural mm -hmm. practices. And when people think of organic, we've mentioned this a little bit before in our podcast series, uh, when people think of organic, they think that means no pesticides whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to open up for discussion about natural pesticides and what are non-synthetic pesticides mm -hmm. and what that means for organic agriculture, um, how effective are they, and some of the practices that productions use for yeah. non-synthetic pesticides. So, you know, I could talk for hours about why pesticides are such a major part of so many of our agricultural systems. And there's just a really good, there's a very good ecological reasoning for why they are an important tool in so many production systems. The big difference in organics is that, so in a conventional space sense, they, we, we typically, if we just talk about insects, for instance, we're using things largely derived from petrochemicals and they tend to be uh, neurotoxins, meaning they interact with the nervous system of the target, most mm -hmm. generally. They tend to have very broad activity, which from a production standpoint, if you're trying to keep all the insects out of your system, it, it works. that's a good fit 
for the tool, right? Um, philosophically, you may have other feelings about that, but just from a production standpoint, when we get into organics, because we typically use things that are either directly living, so a great example is Bacillus thuringiensis, which is a, a living bacteria uh, in our ag production systems. Mostly, it's used to manage caterpillar pests. Mm -hmm. This is a bacterium that, when the when the bacteria when the caterpillar eats it, it basically causes their gut to fail and they they oh my it, God. <laughs> yeah it's kind of like they die of sepsis it's kind of hor horrifying actually but but it's a it's a non-synthetic it, but it's actually method. a living organism mm -hmm. and it is and it is targeted so you know it, bacillus thuringiensis will only affect some groups of caterpillars it won't kill the, the beneficial like that lady, ones. Lady, lady bird beetle. That's it also, really interesting. But it also won't give you control over, say, like someone brought up two spotted spider mite. It's not mm -hmm. going to have a. It's not going to make a lick of difference on that herbivore population. It'll only affect certain right. caterpillar populations. And so when we look at organic, you know, pesticides and organics, they tend to be much more targeted. We don't mm -hmm. have many examples of broad spectrum insecticides that are going to affect, you know, the overall system. And so yeah. it becomes more of a puzzle in fitting it together. Exactly. Of course, from a production standpoint, I mean, this is gets challenging because whereas in a conventional production system, I might be able to rely on one or two products to, to provide me with a full spectrum of management. In a typical organic management system, I may need three or if I'm using some natural pesticides, I may need three or four different ones to target different parts of the system. And then I'm also trying to build in, you know, the, the more natural biological control from predators and parasitoids. Mm -hmm. And and it gets, you know, it gets tricky. So I, I, did that address yeah, your question yeah. pretty well? I, I think that it's really interesting that... Um, the like non-synthetic pesticides or like the the living biocontrol methods that are used mm -hmm. for organic production um, are so specific and targeted because when we're thinking about beneficial bugs from the organic yeah. lens like that's that's also really helpful for the industry yeah um, I, mean, I wanted to pass the discussion over to um, David and ask if there were any if in from a marketing standpoint if consumers are ever concerned at all about the use of non-synthetic pesticides in organics and if there's any clarification for that from the marketing standpoint. Yeah, I think just to add to the conversation, you know, looking at conventional versus organic farming, uh, it's a completely different uh, philosophy and approach. You know, with conventional farming, it is almost like sterilizing the, sterilizing the field and sterilizing the ground. So it's a matter of going in there and making sure that everything is you know, pretty much dead, that we don't have anything living in the soil. Um, and then we're able to treat the soil in that case with, you know, fertilizer, with synthetic fertilizer, but we can get out all the nematodes and um, other types of pests in the soil. So we have this clean, almost sterile soil to work with. And then from there, we're able to plant the crops. And then we can also treat the crops as it goes forward. And you were asking a bit about cost, you know, the cost of treating uh, conventional uh, fields with you know, these pesticides and also herbicides as well because weeding is a very significant mm -hmm. cost. Uh, it's probably about a quarter of the cost of what's required within organic farming and is probably about four times more effective than what we're able to do in organic farming as well. So with organic farming, it is really looking at the field and the soil as an overall living system and not so much of let's clear everything out there, but let's figure out how to work with the soil and how to work with the land and actually go in and 
enrich the soil over time. So, you know, at Cal Organic Farms, uh, our organic wing, um, we are, uh, you know, adding compost and working to enrich the soil, not so much for the crop that we're going to be growing most immediately, but to ensure the health of the soil five to 10 years down the road and to continue building up that soil. And the same thing goes for building in the beneficial pests and uh, also the crop rotation that we do as well is critical to make sure that we're not going to enable that particular pest to become endemic in, in the field as well. So, you know, organic farming, it really is a whole overall system and it's a long-term system. It takes a lot of time. It takes a significant amount of effort. And, you know, what I've noticed over just the years with organic produce is that, you know, we go back 25 or 30 years and you looked at an organic product and you could clearly distinguish what was an organic product to what was a conventional product. Didn't look as good. It was smaller. You know, plants just didn't look quite as vigorous as what we saw uh, for a conventionally grown product. And today, you know, I look at our Cal Organic Farms product and I go to the store and I find that the organic product looks better. It looks better and bigger and fresher than what we see with a lot of the conventional products. So, you know, a lot of the care that goes into organic farming, it is the care that takes years and years to develop that soil and to get the right mix of everything that's required in the field to come up with a, a, not only just organic product, but what I believe now is even a, a premium product to a lot of the conventional uh, vegetables that are out there. Mm -hmm. I, I agree completely with um, what you said. I think that organics is definitely a long-term game um, and just creating that balance between the ecosystem and the rhizosphere in the soil and all of the critters that live in and around um, organic production, it's a very fine balance and I think that organics um, they they can they can manage that really well and that they can incorporate that into their marketing standpoint and just their production practices as a whole um, I wanted to change the discussion a little bit we talked about some of the beneficial bugs but now we're gonna be switching it over to some of the non-beneficial bugs or disastrous bugs in um, the agriculture industry and in organics um, I think that the biggest maybe threat would be aphids in vegetable production, possibly. Um, there's also, let's see, the top invasive bugs from around the globe include the Asian citrus psyllid, um, the Asian longhorned beetle, the coconut rhinoceros beetle, the emerald ash borer beetle, and the European cherry fruit fly. Could you talk about those a little bit? So one of the things that I think is really important to recognize when you start thinking about pests and pest management is that there are very much general pests. And so aphids, I would say, is they're a great example. Pest. I mean, there are many species of aphids, and there are certain aphids that feed on. So like there's potato aphids and green peach aphids and cabbage aphids and lettuce aphids and, I mean, soybean aphids. Gosh, goes, aphids are everywhere. Yeah, they, they are, are everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> However, they have a very sort of general way of feeding. And many of them, like green peach aphid, um, you don't find it on peach that much. It's, it is a major vegetable aphid. Potato aphid feeds on all kinds of, of critters. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, insects that are much more specialized towards particular crops. Definitely. And so, you know, some of the ones that you brought up, like Asian citrus psyllid, 
not going to be a problem in lettuce production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. production. Well, it only affects citrus. Right, exactly. And, and the real issue with that one, for instance, is that... It's an invasive species. It's an invasive species, but it has a relationship with... Uh, the, there's a disease called Hualang Bing. And so this is citrus greening disease, and it's a phy- mm-hmm. I believe it's a phytoplasma that it, it's sort of like malaria, right? Mm-hmm. So look, mosquitoes transmit malaria from human to human. Asian citrus psyllid transmits Hualang Bing from citrus tree to citrus tree. Once that tree gets sick, you can't really treat yeah. it and you lose your tree. Um, another real important Holy invasive crap. in the fruit industry that we're dealing with is uh, spotted wing drosophila. Mm. Um, and that's a, a, it's like the fruit fly that, you know, folks at home would find around, you know, softening and maybe decomposing fruit in their fruit bowl. Only it has a chainsaw on its butt, which allows it <laughs> to like, so whereas like that, those vinegar flies that you find around your fruit bowl, you know, they can only attack the fruit once it's soft. Once there's a point of entry, they'll lay their eggs in their And this bug has a, m- it has a, a means of opening. So it will lay its egg directly in a blueberry or a raspberry, or we're starting to maybe see a little bit in some of the thin-skinned um, po- uh, stone fruit, like thin-skinned plums and things. Um, but in the vegetable world, I'd say, um, from a California perspective, you know, some of the big critters are always aphids, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have mites. Um, in lettuce production, increasingly, especially in the Salinas Valley, we have western flower thrips, which mm-hmm. kind of like the Asian citrus psyllid, the insect itself is not the problem. The problem it's is the, it's the disease it, it transmits. transmits impatiens necrotic spot virus or INSV. And that's why, for instance, this year, I mean, I was seeing reports from Canada who really relies on California vegetable production. Um, I think heads of romaine were going for about six bucks a head. Oh, my Conventional. Goodness. Because of because of and the virus. I mean, I was out in Salinas, standing in fields that could not be harvested. Basically, total collapse because oh of INSV. And that uh, definitely would have an impact on the producers if they oh, can't produce their crop because it has you, a virus. You, well, it it I mean, it's it's horrible because you you know, and and I think you know, David spoke towards this. You spend all the time and energy. You have all kinds of labor and fertility, and you have that long-term fertility program, and you have this crop, and then you can't sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's nothing to harvest because it, it, it can't be marketed or it's literally collapsed. Yeah. So another couple of big critters for um, California vegetable industry, there's an invasive instinct insect called the Bagrata bug, which um, was really a massive problem uh, s- seven, ten years ago and has become more of a sporadic one. It's mm-hmm. actually from Africa. It feeds on coal crops, so brassicas, cabbage, broccoli, and, and the like. Yeah. Um, one that we're really battling now and we're seeing more and more problems across the state is diamondback moth. That's a specialist caterpillar that feeds on, again, brassicas, so broccoli, cabbage, things which like is a that. Bi- which is a big plant family, so it has a wide, yeah, a wide exactly. range of... Um, so those are some massive, those are some really big problems. Um, diamondback moth and western flower thrips both. One of the issues that we face and we're seeing a lot of impacts in the conventional space is they are superstars at developing resistance to insecticides, mm. whether they're conventional or organic. Oh, so yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, so right now with diamondback moth, what we're seeing is a lot of conventional growers are moving really to Bacillus thuringiensis, which I mentioned earlier, because that's the only thing left that actually pesticide that will, will manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there are lots of examples of diamondback moth, which is a worldwide insect, developing resistance to Bacillus thuringiensis or BT, as well as these others. So, you know, we're, we're looking, we're kind of standing at the precipice with that one and it's sort of like, well, you know, are we gonna have any, what, what are our management tools gonna be left? Or are we gonna have to really entirely focus on biocontrol, exactly. which of course doesn't work as fast and is gonna result in more 
beneficial insects on produce going out. Mm -hmm. um, Which some people might find a bug in their food, and we're going to get into this video yeah. a little bit, but some people, some people aren't too faced by having yeah. bugs show up in yeah. their produce. Um, um, what am I leaving out? So nematodes, which uh, David brought up. So, I mean, David, you prefaced by saying that you're, you're, you're mostly a marketing person, but I thought you did an awesome job talking about the, some of those broad agronomic realities. Um, so nematodes are unsegmented roundworms. They live in the soil. They're one of Earth's oldest multicellular organisms. They've been around for somewhere around a billion years. Um, and plant parasitic nematodes um, infect um, crop roots for the most part. And so in carrots and root crops, they're a, they're a major concern. And mm -hmm. crop rotation is really the way that we largely get away from things like nematodes and soil-borne like fungal diseases and things. Basically, if you grow for carrots, for example, if you grow carrots in the same field over and over and over again, you're creating an environment that's very favorable to soil critters like nematodes that feed on carrots. If you start rotations, which David brought up, um, and you start, say, okay, I'm gonna have carrots this year, and then I'm maybe gonna have a lettuce followed by a broccoli or a cabbage mm -hmm. or something, and then maybe I'll do a tomato. Um, by the time you get back to carrots, those populations of the nematodes that like to eat carrots are gonna be very low. So exactly. you kind of get to reset the cycle every time. And that's one of the, like, one of the good, like, um, would you say that's one of the good, like, production practices that organics... Organics, I mean, if you don't rotate, then you, I, I am, you get a monoculture well and cannot but, yeah. grow organically without a solid rotational plan. Um, mm -hmm. And this is this is why uh, Greenway Farms has Cal Organic Farms for organic vegetables. Is that our hardware carrot company? So to grow organic carrots, we know that we can only plant these carrots in the field once every three years. So oh. we established, we got, we bought, purchased Cal Organic Farms in two thousand one. So they had the expertise of growing these other organic vegetables. So we could start rotating these crops into our carrot fields and we're able to control this ground every year. So with this, the ground that we control, we have 50, 000, more than 50,000 acres that we're growing on organically and we'll grow the carrots there. But once we grow the carrots, those carrots won't show up in the field until three years later. Exactly. Yeah. Does Grimway use any um, sort of cover crops in organics along with the rotation to help um, combat different critters that might be living in the soil and just overall soil health? Yes, it's, it's all part of a very complex uh, crop rotation program. Uh, we do more than a thousand plantings a year you know, throughout the year um, and every field is planned out for pretty much years in advance to figure out what's going to be growing where. And this gives us the ability both to manage the fields and also make sure that we manage our supply of product that we have to sell. Definitely a lot of management and planning um, that goes into this that it's, maybe it's, consumers don't know a whole lot about. It's complexity. I think, you know, that's, again, I keep coming back to David's factory comment, but I think that's, that's really at the core. If there's one thing I would one of the things I'd really love for consumers to understand about organic agriculture is that, you know, conventional agriculture is really based around a philosophy of simplification. Exactly. You're trying to simplify things down to their most basic elements, and then you're going to produce a very simple crop. 
in organics, it's the opposite. It's like, well, no, we're going to embrace complexity. Exactly. We're going to embrace the fact that we can't grow carrots every single year on this ground. We're only going to be able to do it every three years. Mm -hmm. So now we have to think about what are we going to grow on those other two years. We're going to embrace the fact that we can't just apply a broad spectrum neurotoxin. So instead, we're going to use a combination of natural products as well as really trying to foster a, a biological system that's going to manage these things for us. Mm -hmm. But of course, a complex system is going to sort of manifest interesting behaviors. But I think also to David's point, you know, one of the incredible things we've seen as, you know, as producers have moved towards organic production practices and they've made those long-term investments in their soil, we see improved quality um, and, you know, and in a lot of our, our crops because, you know, these plants didn't evolve in a factory. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they evolved um, outdoors, interacting with all kinds of other organisms. Definitely, so, and especially bugs. Right, so that complexity, yeah. that complexity really benefits the crops that we're trying to grow. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully the, the folks who eat it, hopefully they're getting a, you know, a better product. Yeah, we do have another video um, that was um, produced by Tegan and her groupmate, Melissa, um, going around and asking students on campus what they would do if they found a bug in their organic produce. So let's go take a look at that. Hello everyone, um, we're going to be asking everyone or people about what they would do if they found a bug in their food this morning. What would you do if you found a bug in your organic produce? Um, I would be stoked because then I would knew, I knew it was organic produce. Cool, thank yeah. you. I'd pick it up. I would be fine with Lick it. Lick it off? Yeah. Wash my fruits a little bit harder. Eat it for time. some protein. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I'd probably. Uh, I mean, I'd throw away the the produce that the bug was on, uh -huh. but like I'd like wash the rest. Okay. That's what I'd do. Cool. Thank you. I would probably pick it out. Pick it out. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> bug in my organic produce. Uh, probably take it out. Take I it think out. I'd probably still eat it. Yeah. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Produce. Oh, well I have found a bug in my organic produce. What did you do? I took it outside. Took it outside? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wouldn't kill it. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Is that in my organic produce, probably leave it alone, leave it alone. I guess. Okay, cool, it's thank you. It's probably there for a reason, so. All right. Okay, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know, probably kill it. Thank you. Thank you. I'd probably take the bug out and then eat the produce. Thank you, guys. Organic produce. Ooh. Uh, um, I like if it was like a fruit fly or like a like, worm, like, like a worm, I guess, like, like how I mean, I mean, I kind of would, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a worm in my organic food. I feel like that's kind of expected. I would clean it out and remove it and kind of check over it, but just I mean, I would kind of probably keep eating my food. I would cool. just clean it out. Yeah, awesome. no, yeah, so, thank you. Found a bug in your organic produce. I would likely pick it up and put it to the side. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Eat it. Eat it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> we had a lot of like different like interactions with people. We were super expecting people to be like, oh, ew, no. Um, but I feel like we had a pretty good like variation of people that mm -hmm. were like, oh, well, if it's organic, we would like the first guy who actually is construction in the building next door, uh, he was like, no, I, I would hope there would be so that yeah. it's not 
yeah, I being think unconventionally. Was, I think was that's he really... your cr- chronologically first person that you asked? Uh, no, okay, no. Okay. Okay, I think it. it's really interesting that the, 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 the responses that we got towards this question um, and the fact that it is organic produce and that kind of like raises the question, do consumers have different attitudes towards finding bugs in their food since it is an organic product and they have maybe a conception that organic is you know, tied closer to the land and the ecological practices in place would more likely find a bug in your food as, con- as compared to conventional products. Um, so I just think it was really interesting that the attitudes were a lot more positive well, towards finding a bug in your food. Well, that's, I think, a great question to ask our, our yeah. guest star yeah. today. So, so David, since, I mean, Grimway does market both conventional and organic products, what do you have an experience with that in terms of the Cal Organic side versus the, say, the conventional Grimway carrot side in terms of consumer complaints or in terms of consumer comments? You know, I would have to actually look. I know yeah. on the time I spent on that desk and actually speaking directly to consumers, we do get complaints of insects that's in product. Um, you know, a lot of times these are products that are in the bag. So I know when in their bag, mm-hmm. they actually could be organic or conventionally grown. Um, I'm not sure, you know, because most of the organic products, most of the organic vegetables that we're selling, they're bulk. So they're, you know, right. uh, it would not be in a bag. Uh, we do have some overwrap product that it could possibly show up on. Um, but, you know, customers will notice this though. So, mm-hmm. you know, on our side, we have the shopper, the consumer side, but there's also the customer side as well. So, and so, so the, by customer, you mean like the produce buyer? So the, the produce buyers, the retailers, and retailers, right. when the product is shipped to the customer, everything undergoes an inspection. Mm-hmm. So, there are very strict tolerances as far as what they can find for defects, including insects as well. Mm-hmm. And if the product doesn't meet the standard, the product is going to be rejected. And, you know, I, there's probably a little bit more leeway that's given to organic products, should be. Um, but, you know, not always. I mean, yep. it just depends on the customer. I, I have a question for you, David. So we're, we're an agricultural communications class. You know, I'm trying to teach my students that all methods of agricultural communications are applicable and, you know, all sectors of the agricultural industry, you know, needs its due. So how can we as an agricultural communications class help you, you know, message better for uh, consumers to understand, you know, bugs on your food is actually part of the process. How can, how can we help you do that? I think this communication uh, this you know, that we're having right now, this discussion that we're having right now is very helpful. Uh, I, most consumers, most shoppers, I think are very disconnected of where their food comes from and how their food actually comes to be. And I think in their head, they have in their head, they have that factory sterilized model and don't realize everything grows in the ground. So everything grows in the ground and um, you know, in that process, particularly with organics, uh, by design, it is a yeah, symbiotic system that relies upon adding um, a very complex biological structure to the sto- soil and really having those fields be alive uh, with all types of life in order to foster this type of growth and give us the quality of produce that we're looking for without using the synthetic pesticides and synthetic fertilizers. 
So this type of education, helping consumers understand where their food comes from, even on conventionally uh, produced uh, products like carrots, for instance. So consumers understand that the carrots are actually grown in the ground and uh, to understand how that process works and that it takes time. I think most people don't even understand how much time it takes to grow a carrot. You know, the carrots that you buy, if if you buy carrots uh, in a bag or cello carrots, they're in the ground for five to six months. So it's a very long process. And the longer that product is in the ground, the more water, the more fertilizer, the more uh, pesticides that they require. And then also, it's also more time for something to happen. So in a weather event or an insect event, or you know, water unavailability, whatever the case may be. So, farming is a very difficult business, and um, you know, God bless our farmers because it's just it's very difficult, and there's just so many things that can happen within the time span that it takes to actually go grow and produce a product, particularly when you're looking at something like a carrot or a potato or onions that take longer and they're growing under the ground. So before I pass it back to Natalie to, to wrap it up, I'd just like to say thank you for coming on and hopefully, uh, you know, we can collaborate some more with other classes and maybe doing some messaging things that you might be able to support. Just throwing that out there because um, we would enjoy working with industry a little bit more to get the, the messaging across to the audience. So Natalie, take it away. Yeah, most definitely. That sounds really, um, that sounds really interesting for the, and hopeful for the future, mm-hmm. um, especially with um, communication projects like this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this, uh, we're just wrapping up our bugging episode. Um, I, I've learned a lot about beneficial bugs. I don't, I don't know about the rest of the panel, but I learned definitely a lot about beneficial bugs and their role in organic agriculture and even the consumer attitude towards those bugs. Um, So I just want to say thank you to the panelists. Thank you, Dr. Grishop, Dr. Mike, and Tegan for giving your expertise and helping sit on the podcast today. Um, So I won't bug you any longer about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So we were going to, we're just going to wrap this up. Thank you again, um, David Bright for sitting in today and providing your expertise. It's, it's been, it's been really helpful and it's been a great conversation. Um, yeah, of course. Well, that is our episode for today. This has been Live in 225, and this is your, your, your podcast host, Natalie Victorine, signing off. All right. Live in 225 is a production of the AGC 225 class at Cal Poly called Digital Communications and Agriculture. Program funding was provided by the California Certified Organic Farmers Foundation and the Transition to Organic Partnership Program. Our production team for this episode was Tegan Ellers and Melissa Frago. Our director for season one was Bella Anushian. Our host was Natalie Victorine. The executive producer, creator, and co-editor for the show was Moses Mike. Matt Greeshop was our co-producer. The student panelist was Tegan Ellers. Our special guest was David Bright from Grimway Farms. Our audio technician was Melissa Frago, who was also our managing editor. The video switching director was Cole Stevens. Our vocal talent was Jared Mandrell. Background music by LVY Music from Pixabay. Intro and outro music by Alex Grohl from Pixabay. Thanks for joining us.